And welcome, 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 everybody, to the Irish NFL show. It is time for the week 15 review show. Fair, and I know you, you did a review of some of the Saturday games yesterday. Um, some pretty remarkable comebacks. It actually seems like a weekend of comebacks and unlikely overtimes, and also in the NFL, not just the World Cup final. But uh I think what we'll probably just do before we get started, I want to give a shout out to Cassidy Travel, uh, our travel partner and I do know that there uh, now uh, you can go. We'll, we'll send out on the socials and um, uh, on our on our podcast bio and stuff. You can go check out there. They're already getting 2023 deals in place. So well worth the chat. Uh, go and checking it out if you want to go see your all favorite teams playing. All right. So let's get into some of the Sunday games. And uh, Mark, I'm afraid we're going to have to start with the Pats game uh, with the Raiders. 30-24. We're okay. We don't have to talk about it. <laughs> Ah, come on. We do, because in fairness, it was quite a dramatic ending. I think we don't have the rights to show the clip, but that's okay, says you. But uh, nevertheless, uh, all tied up the end and then uh, just a kind of a mad melee at the end for the Raiders to take it on home. So uh, let's uh, let's talk about it. Uh, Perhaps I'll I'll give you a moment to collect your thoughts, even though you've probably been collecting them for some time at this point, Mark, and, and they may include expletives that we also can't really say on YouTube. So, um, Brian, why don't you start us off? Tell us where did it go wrong for the Pats there? What happened? Who had a brain fart? What was going on? Uh, where it went wrong for both teams, really, because uh, we kind of joked on our social interaction last night. You know, there was nothing happening in the game for quite some time in the second quarter. But it was only a matter of time for the Raiders did what Raiders have been doing throughout the course of this season, which is finding ways to give up big leads. They came out early, they were quite dominant. The um, Pats offense couldn't really get anything going. Um, there's a lot of inconsistency around the Pats offense this year. It'd be interesting to see what Mark's take is on it. Mac Jones hasn't. Mac Jones played quite well last year on Josh, McDon Josh McDonald. He seems to have regressed slightly, in my opinion. I don't, I don't know if it's down to this dual offensive coordinator storyline that we keep talking about that Mark didn't want to address at the start of the season with Matt Patricia and Joe Judge essentially sharing the role but like we've seen over the past few weeks Mac Jones is very argumentative on the sideline and getting disgruntled with maybe some of the play calling and look again they didn't seem to find ways to run the ball consistently in the first half or even move the ball up and down the field in terms of even passing and it looked like the game was fizzling away until mid tour quarter and Derek Carr chose a ridiculous interception, pick six, uh, completely seen by the by the cornerback of the Patriots, and he, he, you know, it was a walk-in touchdown. And from there, the Patriots took over the game, and they were quite dominant. And the Raiders in the second half, when he had two first downs prior to the final drive, and it looked like the Raiders had, sorry, the Patriots had done Patriots type thing on the Belichick, which is essentially to close out the game in a manner in which we're used to seeing in terms of game management, understanding the nature of where they are in the game, got in a position to win the game and then allowed a, a final drive from the Raiders and it was the only really drive in the second half in which the Raiders moved the ball. And Bill Belichick in, this, in, the, in the press conference didn't really want to refer too much to the incident, which I think we're going to come to in terms of the, the craziness at the end. It was more so around the touchdown to Keelan Cole, which was given, which having looked at replays last night and today, you know, it's difficult. I mean, doing it. I didn't think they were going to overturn it because it was so difficult. The decision, but essentially, it looked like his toe was out of bounds. But yet, the touchdown was upheld. He was obviously Bill Belichick was upset about that. And then they got the ball back with two seconds to go. And this is where it really kind of got confusing for me because the first play they threw for eight yards. Then they ran and got a first down. 
and they didn't really clock, clock manage properly, in my opinion. Mark might see it differently. And they left themselves with three seconds to go. The Raiders had essentially put all the players down the far end of the field expecting a Hail Mary. And instead, they, I just don't understand why the Patriots don't take a knee with three seconds to go and run the game out. But instead, they ran out to the perimeter with Stevenson, which looked like for a period he might actually be going somewhere, only to turn around and, and lateral the, the ball to uh, Myers, was it, Mark? The wide receiver, yeah? Jacoby Myers, yeah. Jacoby Myers, yeah. yeah. Who then in turn, for some bizarre reason, had a moment of madness and and, and, and actually throws it to probably one of the most least athletic players that they actually have in Mac Jones, their quarterback. I don't know what he expected him to do with it. And there was a great story on today that the Raiders player, uh, Jones, was actually hiding on the halfway line. He, he, he kind of blended into the halfway line logo of the Raiders and he actually lied down prior to the ball coming over because they clearly didn't see him over there, which... Again, you can watch different replays. It doesn't really look that way. And then from there, we all know what happened. The Raiders running in. They win the game. It's a bizarre, bizarre ending to a game. But this kind of sums up the Patriots season for me. They, they play well in sports. They do. They look de decent. They look like they can move the ball up and down the field. And then they kind of have moments in the game where they can't seem to do anything. And the game management in that particular instance was a bit baffling. Baffling. So what do you say to that, Mark? Was it baffling? Was it just bad? What was what happened there? I, I just say I hate the NFL, Kelly. I hate <laughs> everything that it stands for. I hate how Loki and the Harpies are just constantly staring at you, luring you into mischief and bringing you to torment and doom. It's the hope that kills you. And yeah, I you know I had the horrible nagging feeling about this game. I'm not going to lie. I had a horrible nagging feeling that this is going to go horribly wrong. And at halftime, it looked like the Patriots weren't even going to be competitive. The offense was completely dysfunctional. They weren't doing anything. They'd given up a block punt, and there have been so many miscues. And then the third quarter, 21 unanswered points between the third and the start of the fourth quarter, roar into the lead. The Raiders were doing less than nothing, a pick six and five punts on their offensive plays. And it looked like the Pats were going to go to eight and six. And you kind of start thinking, as a fan does, kind of like, well, we've got the Bengals and the Bills and the Dolphins. We could nip one of them, maybe two. There's still a playoff spot, you know, available in relation to this. And, you know, I've seen this team, or my team, the Patriots, lose two Super Bowls to a mediocre opposition on fluke plays. Sorry, Brian. Love you back. Uh, I've seen them throw away game with the Miami Miracle to the Dolphins when their lateral play actually did work. But, you know, we won a Super Bowl at the end of that season so I can console myself. This was utterly unconsolable. I mean, I, like many Pats fans, I was up till 3 o'clock in the morning just sitting there. Just I, I was still stunned. My wife actually came down at 2 o'clock and she said, what are you doing? And I just said, Patriots. And that's it. She just walked out. She just knew that this was not a good moment. Um, you know, for every flip side, for every downside, there's an upside. Raiders fans must be overjoyed with just the craziness of the game, the craziness thing. But, you know, Brian says, what were they doing? I mean, Pats, you know, the offense was terrible, The except for Ramondo Stevenson, 148 yards, great performance in relation to that. The defense showed up, but fourth and 10 with 158, one stop, and you win the game. They had no timeouts left. 3.30, they had the ball, couldn't get one first down, which would effectively have drained most of the clock away and burnt the Raiders' timeouts. That's situational football. That's what Bill Belichick preaches. I mean, it's lovely. In the post-game conference, they said, hmm, that wasn't a scripted play. I mean, no 
Sherlock, like, I mean, you know, a Scottish <laughs> play to throw the ball to Chandler Jones. I mean, I know we've got four Joneses that play on the Patriots. You didn't need to add a fifth thinking he was still there. It was the most boneheaded move I've seen in a long time, and I've seen some pretty dumb plays at times. Um, amazing drama. I honestly thought we were just going to get, you know, losing overtime the normal way, but no, this one stinks. This one's going to be there for a while. Everyone else is greatly enjoying it, and I can understand why, given the Patriots dynasty and reign of success. Um, and there are some longer-term questions. Mac Jones was a bit petulant, wasn't performing. Uh, the run game until the second half didn't really get going, and then when it did, it you know completely changed the dynamic. But um, yeah, yeah, I'm so glad I have to be on this show tonight uh, to talk about this. It may, might help the uh, psychologist bill in the long run. Yeah, fair enough. Okay, well, look, I'll I'll let you sort it out between you and the psychologist. But, uh, Colm, do you have anything to add to that? It's uh, it's uh, there's it's an interesting game. It kind of reminded me a bit more of sort of the madness of college football at the end there. But um, what's your take on it? Yeah, Kelly, I think you're right. It was the the Stanford band uh, on the field. It was that type uh, of madness that that we watched and. You know, you, you do. We have seen other moments this year, right? When you think about the the way in which the the Bills and the Vikings game ended, well, we haven't seen anything like this, um, where you know the, it was it was so in, inexplicable. Uh, for me, I think Brian touched on uh, parts of it, but the whatever is going on with the offense in New England. I mean, when you have 13 uh, of 31, that is not a good day at the office. I do, and he will never say it publicly, um, but I do wonder if Bill Belichick had his time again, would he uh, look around the rest of the league and think, hmm, 31 other teams have an offensive coordinator. 32 teams had an offensive coordinator last year. 32 teams had an offensive coordinator the year before that and the year before that. And every year, and uh, decide, you know, we know what what a fantastic job he has done um, in the past. We know about all the Super Bowls, but sometimes you can be too clever. Um, And sometimes it's the greats who who do that. You know, Andy Reid very often does it in the playoffs. Alex Ferguson and Pep Guardiola, notorious for doing it in the latter stages of the Champions League, overthinking, trying to come up. Uh, sometimes they should apply Occam's razor to their coaching. Uh, I think the uh, rest of the league will enjoy this, uh, and this will certainly be one that I'm sure will be replayed by fans of 31 teams for many, many years to come. Indeed, yes. Callum, and, uh, one, sorry, yeah, go ahead. Um, we get a lot of great interaction on Sunday night, obviously, because the games are going on from 6 o'clock, but that particular... Uh, video clip of the touchdown. Um, I think it's probably one of the biggest engagement ones we've had throughout the course of the season. And even today, it's gone on and gone on and on, gone on with different people putting their uh, thoughts on it. So uh, it was great to see all the rea- reaction. Mark obviously won't appreciate it, but it was good. To yeah, see yeah, it was great, Brian. It was fantastic. <laughs> and I'm sure the reaction will continue. And uh, indeed, seek it out on seek it out on Twitter and uh, forward it on, pay it forward. Um, okay, very good. And also, shout out Colin for uh, 
name checking Occam's Razor. That's some that's some highfalutin stuff you got going there. Uh, just a reminder as well, when we're talking about social engagement, uh, do do share your comments with us now this evening, and we'll we'll get to those in a couple of couple of games time. Okay, we'll move on to game two. Uh, thank God, said Mark. Um, all right, so a game that did actually go to overtime. Um, uh, this was the Jags coming back from 17 points down to beat the Cowboys 40 to 34. Um, and in fairness, the, the momentum is building for the Jags. So um, let's uh, let's maybe go to you, uh, Mark, first. Uh, what, what was your takeaway on this one? Well, it was like Brian said. I mean, why did Myers throw it to Mac Jones? I mean, he's the least athletic player. Oh, sorry, we're talking about another game. We're talking about another game now. Uh, yeah. Um, do you know, yes, last week we were giving the Cowboys a bit of a pass. You know, they nearly threw the game away against the Texans. And we were like, eh, that can happen. They pulled it out at the end. So be it. And the Jags, amazingly, last week, uh, the, the fact came up that the Jags actually have their playoff destiny in their own hands. Now, if they win out, they go to the playoffs, which is remarkable given their record. And you kind of went, how does that work? Because I think they've still got to play... The Titans twice, I think it is, is why it, it was. And I was like, yeah, they're playing the Cowboys. They're going to lose that game. It's clearly not going to be in their control. But you know what? Second year, Trevor Lawrence has had more moments this season showing us why he's number one overall pick. There were moments of that second half where the Jaguars were quite literally unstoppable. The Cowboys' defense didn't have any answers. And let's be fair, that Cowboys' defense had answers for most offenses this season. Uh, they were thoroughly outmatched. It is not necessarily the case that they played terribly. I mean, the Cowboys did still put 34 points up on the ball, but it was a surprise given how uh, much they had the game in hand, albeit early in the second. They're up by 17. Um, I think it was in the second or it was in the third, maybe, actually. They were up by 17. And then the, the Jags just blitzed them. Getting the ball back, uh, the Cowboys' volunteered run game couldn't get churn out the first downs. Dak Prescott... Um, got a little bit out of sorts, got a little bit shook up. And certainly, of course, we know how the game ended with the interception return. But it was that key pivotal period during the third quarter and start of the fourth where the, the Jags went touchdown, 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 got the ball back every time. And you suddenly went, oh, this game is really on. And I don't know, it still felt like the Cowboys would pull it out at the end, just like they had against the Texans, but it wasn't to be. Um, goes to the, the overtime and obviously the interception return. Dak can't be that careless with the ball. Um, and we, we talk a little bit, and we talked on this show a little bit about the Vikings and, like, are they really postseason pretenders? Can you see them, given the bad losses they've had, winning game after game after game, back to back to back in the postseason against the real quality of the division? When the Cowboys perform like that, you can't really – you have to say the same about them. So, yeah, they might win one or two. But if they're going to throw in a stinker like that, if Dak's going to be that loose – with the football against even a better team and a better defense, um, then that weight in Jerry world might go on another year. So a really bad loss from a Cowboys perspective. And, you know, Jacksonville, you know, grass shoots are springing up all over. Indeed. Um, well, Brian, what do you take? What's your take on it? Trevor Lawrence, uh, the, the, what was it? Flashes of, of brilliance that we're seeing more and more and green shoots or, or what's your take where the Cowboys just not at the races? The Cowboys are out of sorts, both offensively and defensively. You're talking about Trevor Lawrence there. 503 yards of total offense against this Cowboys defense yesterday. 311 passing. They gave up 192 yards in rushing. The Cowboys gave up 207 yards against the Green Bay Packers a couple of weeks ago in rushing. 
the secondary, Calvin Joseph, yesterday was exposed. He was exposed last week against the Texans. And for secondary, that was spoke about highly with Diggs there. That's kind of regressed over the past few weeks. We saw the Texans do a number on them. And then even a couple of weeks ago, when we when Mark in particular was, was reviewing the, uh, the Colts-Cowboys game, and the Cowboys scored 23 unanswered points in the fourth quarter, but for three quarters, they were out of sorts in that game, and the Colts gave them a game. So this is a worrying trend because it's gone on for three weeks, but it did enforce because they've got two wins in those three games. Um, from a Dak Prescott offense perspective, they've turned the ball over five times in a week, eight times over the past four weeks. Um, it's worrying. And I, I, Mark, I felt was you could see the, the momentum building with the Jags coming back from 24-10, became 27-10, looked like the game was gone from. They were rallying, they were coming back, but I always felt that there was one drive in there for the Cowboys, which would effectively given the game. It looked like that was the case when Trevor Lawrence fumbled. They recovered, and I thought they'd utilised their run game there as two-headed monster, Elliott and Pollard, two great running backs, to essentially kill the game off. But instead, Kellen Moore continuously wanted to throw the ball. He threw a 50-yard on third down, which didn't make any sense because if he's not catching a 50-yard bomb, incomplete, clock stops, and that just worked worked for the Jags to be in the position then to have more time in the clock, go down, kick a field goal to get the game into overtime. It's a worrying trend for the Cowboys. They're playing the Eagles this weekend. It'd be interesting to see how they react in that one, because that is a big divisional clash either way, no matter when they play each other. But right now, they're, they're limping into the playoffs, and we have a few Cowboys fans who watch the show, and they've kind of pointed out the problem they feel for the Cowboys is they know where they're at. They're, because of the position in, in the playoffs, it's kind of been locked in for some time. They're not going to win the division. They're going to be the fifth seed, and essentially they already know who they're going to play, and that we could argue whether it's the Bucks or the Panthers in the South, but they know realistically who, you know, who they're going to go up against come playoff time. And there's a yeah. certain bit of dropping them off complacency, I think, for kind of coming into the team, and it's difficult for them to get going again. But yesterday, it looked for a large surprise they were going to win, but I just think there's an underlying issue there, and I'm not sure where it's going to end. It's probably ending a potentially a one-and-done come playoff time. Very possibly. What do you reckon, Colm? One-and-done come playoff time, or are the Jags the ones who are masterminding great play here as well? What's the crack? Well, to me, Kella, what Doug uh, Pedersen has done with the Jags highlights how important coaching is. And last year, we've talked about it a little bit on the show, but last year, I mean, the Jags were, it was, it was awful. I mean, it was, it was embarrassing. And every story <clears throat> that came out only made it worse and worse. And that was the case even over the summer. You were still hearing things that happened under Urban Meyer. And all of a sudden, Doug Pedersen came in. And there was a feeling that, you know, they overspent in free agency. They gave big deals to Christian Kirk. But in order to get players to go there, they, they had to, to do that. Um, but, there, you know, there was there was really no expectations. There was still arts, the Jags, you know, what, you know really, what, what are they going to, to do? And all, all of a sudden, as Demetrius Harvey, I saw him point out on Twitter today, and it kind of highlighted uh, I'd already been high on Pedersen, but they have he has completely changed the culture. So uh, up to this year, the Jags, they had a 20-game losing streak versus the NFC. They snapped that. They had a nine-year drought on the road uh, against the Titans. Snapped that. They had a, a, an 18-game losing streak on the road to begin the year. They snapped that in week three uh, against the, the Chargers, which also snapped um, for, for them. They had never won on the, the, West, the West Coast. Um, 
So they, they he has changed the culture. Now for them to win out, as uh, Mark said, the destiny is in their own hands, but they need to beat the Texans and they have lost nine straight to the Texans. So it will be interesting to see if they can do that. But we are seeing, I think, Trevor Lawrence blossom um, before our eyes. And I know um, that your in-laws, as you mentioned, there are huge yes. Clemson fans. We saw what Trevor Lawrence was capable of in college. It, it also speaks, if I, if I say that, you know, Doug uh, Pedersen, and we'll talk about, like, um, Brian Dable, um, Sirianni, O'Connell, and, and stuff uh, later, and also Dan Campbell. But if I say how how important coaching is. Again, Urban Meyer managed to hide Trevor Lawrence's ability. That's how bad a coach he was when you are able to hide a generational QB like this. Uh, and that, I suppose, more than anything else is my takeaway from the game. Yeah, fair enough. That tells and that's, the story. No, it's okay. Yes, I, was just ahead, Mark. I was going to add on, I mean, but Colin wanted to call out the Patriots for not having an offensive coordinator, and I should have corrected him that there's many times they haven't had an offensive coordinator or a defensive coordinator with that title, you know, including years we won Super Bowls. But uh, a call out on the coaching here is the Press Taylor, actually, uh, the offensive coordinator at the Jags. I mean, obviously, Peterson's leading the charge, but this is this guy's first year as an offensive coordinator. He's worked with Peterson for many years. He was the quarterback's coach the one year Carson Wentz was good in Philadelphia as well. So he knows something about developing young talent there. And it's that whole coaching staff, as Colin alludes to. Under Urban Meyer, it was a joke. And I mean, and that's no disrespect to the people involved. The culture, the attitude, the approach was... It was a fraternity. It wasn't a professional football team. And this year, they've brought that back significantly. They're showing the evolution, the blooming of... Um, Trevor Lawrence. I mean, there's got to be a Ulysses reference in there to Leopold Bloom or something as well. It's his second day in Dublin. It was even better than the first. Um, but uh, that that effort is key. And the only last thing to say about these games, this game is that Cowboys fans are delighted what the Patriots did because that means people are more laughing at the Patriots <laughs> than the Cowboys. Indeed. It's schadenfreude in its extremis. All right. Very good. Uh, well, listen, let's move on. Uh, so uh, I don't know, Mark. You weren't on the show there the week, but uh, I, I I said my ma- abiding memory of the Detroit Lions. The next game is the Lions Jets. We're going to talk about. I said I remembered Eddie Murphy as Axel Foley wearing the Detroit Lions jacket, and I said that's that's a jacket I'd love to have. And Brian uh, is coming uh, closer to having to maybe buy me one of them now as a as a token of uh, the fact that the Lions are still doing it here. Uh, they beat the Jets. I think it was with a late touchdown to win it twenty seventeen. Brian, uh, first of all, what did you think of the game? And second of all, um, where where do you want to send the jacket to me? I can I can give you any address you want. I'll have to get it tailored for you. For yes, the, good uh, idea, good idea. Yes, maybe an autograph by Eddie Murphy as well. Make the playoffs, have a night out, watch the Lions game. Perfect. You, you rock up okay. with the jacket. Plenty of social yeah. interaction. Again. Brilliant, so brilliant. Okay, we're, we're, we're on. Sorry, we're back on. to the NFL stuff. Go on. Uh, this game. For me, played out in many ways where I expected. I thought it could be a very close one. I thought the Jets would get over the line, um, but it all changed throughout the course of the week. Like Mike White was ruled out. Zach Wilson, who's been, you know, he's not one of the, the fans' favourites, shall we say, with the Jets because he's been so inconsistent. And his manner, how he, um, his demeanour, and how he kind of approaches things is very off-putting. And 
He was benched recently. Mike White came in. Mike White got battered last week, as, as Colin said last week. The Bills fans were doing the doing a number on him. Never mind the players in terms of what they do outside the ground beforehand in the, in the tailgating. And um, this game was the high and lows for him yesterday because he had some really good plays in the game. And you can see, okay, I can see why the Jets picked him. And then he just goes and does bonehead plays like interceptions, which just needless interception with nobody around the Lions player who didn't re return it. And again, his his defense gets him out of a hole. Holds them to a field goal, and there was one in the fourth quarter where I think it was deflected and it went up in the air, and they were forced and they came down. With it. it was up and down, but again, the game was there for them, and they took the lead. And there's a 14 inches play, and they completely expected a run, and they got goosed on a, on a 14 inches to a, the wide play, tight end play, as they call it. But he went for 50 yards and a touchdown. And then it became the, the Robert Sala show, not the uh, Zach Wilson show, because he, if we're, we're talking about game management, then we're talking about Bill Belichick. and how you manage a game two minutes ago? Well, Robert Sally, yesterday, uh, the head coach, or the offense coordinator on the floor, didn't put really Zach Wilson in a great position, in my opinion. There's one forty-nine to go. He gets sacked on the fourth play, and they've had three timeouts. And like, I don't know how everybody else sees timeouts in the NFL, but my understanding is you try to keep them for as long as you possibly can because you'll probably need them towards the back end of the first half or second half. And they've got three timeouts. It's one forty-nine to go. To take a sack, and usually what straight away you, you call a timeout because that. Because you're losing time waiting for all your players to get back in position, to be in a position to snap the ball. The next play goes off at 128. Um, so they didn't call a timeout. They lost 21 seconds. To me, in the NFL, in that instance, you could probably get two or three plays off in that time. Then it went down to 122 without a timeout after, on a third and 10 play, which actually was a really good play by Zach Wilson. And they didn't call a timeout then either. And they allowed the clock to run down to 58 seconds. And then the next play was 45 seconds. And then eventually, finally called the timeout. They just. They were on. They had a position. They had. If they if they took the timeouts, they would have more opportunities, more players, and I feel they would have put themselves in a better position to kick the field goal, to put the game into overtime. In the end, because of, for me, mismanagement, they ended up begging the referees to give them a one second back and having to look at that play again because it looked like the clock had run out. They managed to get a timeout in, but they left the kicker with a really long kick. Never came close, and and the Lions walk off with another hard, gritty Dan Campbell type of win. The dude is just finding ways to win. But the Lions yesterday started well on offence and then started for the remainder of the game. And they got over the line in this one, for me, more so because of the Jets' inability to close it out and win the game, both defensively and offensively. There we are, Jets' inability to close it out. Mark, is that your takeaway as well? Or is it just that the Lions are absolutely brilliant? Um, well, I am starting the Harold Fultemeyer iconic tune, you know, on the old castle now you're talking ruined, to, ruined yeah, by crazy yeah, frog completely yeah. ruined by crazy frog. yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you know, we that, know where that, it came from that was that was that was the real the real home of it all um the lions you know all this season we've been joking a bit about them being again that red zone entertaining team and at the start of the season it was like oh they're going to pull up points in buckets they're going to be great to watch but they're also great to watch because they're going to concede every time somebody goes the other way against them What's been the change in the last few weeks is that defense has tightened up. And all of a sudden you're going, oh, they're on a bit of a roll. Oh, they've won several games in a row now. Oh, they're only actually half a game outside the playoff spots. They're, you know, I think they actually rank ninth because Seattle has the tiebreaker over them in eighth. And then the commanders were seven, six, and one are a half game ahead. But they are there or there, they are there or thereabouts. And part of it is look, it was a real rough and tumble. I mean, I, I, I can attest when we send out our picks on the WhatsApp group uh, at the start of the uh, uh, middle of the week, 
Uh, one of the things I wrote, which I rarely write, was Jets uh, over the Lions. I said this was genuinely the hardest game to pick all week. I wanted to go with the Lions. I prayed for the Lions, but I, I just couldn't see, even with Zach Wilson in there, I just thought the, the Jets would have enough. Robert Sala's game management deserves to be put in the house of horrors. It was appalling. He still got a timeout that he's donating to charity because he didn't even bother to use it. Um, that's how bad it was. Um, that's not the whole reason they lost the game. The one interesting thing for me is they didn't lose the game because of Zach Wilson. Yes, did he play maybe as well as Mike White would have done? Possibly not. But he made some big plays when it counted. He looked like someone whose confidence uh, was slowly returning. And, you know, they've got some big decisions there. Salah gave a pretty impassioned speech about him after the game as well. And said, like, hey, you know, you're taking someone in a microsecond and ripping them apart. That's a second-year quarterback. He deserves a chance. He deserves a chance to rebuild his game. And we're going to give him that opportunity. Um, Now... As soon as Mike White's healthy, he's going to put him back in as the starting quarterback. But at the same token, it was actually a pretty decent message. You can't throw away talent. You can't throw away these youngsters after one or two years just because they happen to be selected in the first round and therefore come with unrealistic expectations uh, in many respects. So, um, you know, look, the, the Jets seem like they're throwing it away. They were 7-4. and four, They're now 7-7, seven and seven, three straight losses. They looked uh, playoff destined um, and now they're just letting it slip from their grasp, whereas the Lions might be heading the, right, the other direction. And uh, and yes, and I'm trying to remember the um, Judge Reinhold was one of the other actors. We should get oh, him yes. in for the reunion. For the reunion. Yeah, let's get him in. Yeah, and John Ashton who played the other cop. Uh, um, eh, there we are. Anyway, Colm, uh, apart from uh, Eddie Murphy uh, reminiscing, what's your take on this game? I uh, having some some technical difficulties trying to get off mute, but um, I I was wondering, Kala, maybe uh, whoever ends up uh, bottom of our pick predictions league uh, should have to wear Eddie Murphy's uh, red uh, suit as a potential forfeit. I think that would be uh, oh. a very inter- interesting forfeit uh, on 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 the show. Uh, uh, that, yes, that might be one to consider. Um, for for me, I I. Yeah, I, I mean, I think the the bigger issue than the the timeout was was Zach Wilson. I think just Zach Wilson's, like some of it worked out, but it almost haphazardly. I I would just not have any faith or belief in him. And yeah, Mark is right. Like Salah tries to put the arm around the shoulder afterwards because he has to, because they're they're lumbered with, but. You could see, I mean, why we talked about it on the preview show, why the players are wearing the Mike White t-shirts and they're not wearing the, the Zach Wilson ones. Um, if you can't depend on your QB, and to me, it just looked like the, the Jets were never really in rhythm yesterday. And that was in stark contrast uh, to the Lions. And I know Sam Munson was saying on the BFF podcast earlier today that he feels the Lions might have the best play caller in the entirety of the, the league in, in their OC. And that, um, you know, he's certainly up there because uh, he finds ways and on the uh, go-ahead touchdown down, uh, play, that was just a, a fantastic call. The, the Lions have so much momentum and so much belief and so many different ways to, to beat you. 
And Dan Campbell hasn't been afraid to, you know, make uh, changes over the course of the, the season. And I know that he told, I had seen a quote yesterday where he said he, he talked to, I suppose, a lot of the greats. And he talked about Sean Payton and going for it on fourth down and why he, he does that. And it's because defenses are terrified. They don't know what you're going to do because it's still the great unknown as to, you know, are you faking them out? Are you, What is it that you're going to do? You, you're fourth and one. Are you going to run it? Or, you, or and, and do they have to sell out to try and stop that? Or are you going to, you know, fake them on that? So that was a really interesting piece. And look, I, I think it would be fantastic. We talked earlier, coaching matters. Dan Campbell has done a heck of a job, the coaching staff there. And I think it would be fantastic to see uh, the Lions who earlier in the year and I, on this show for the last few years have referred to Detroit as the factory of sadness. And that is the fact that Ford Field has been that. Um, every time uh, I have gone over to uh, stateside, usually uh, for Thanksgivings, very often end up in Michigan, know some Lions fans. And every, it seems like every Thanksgiving, the Lions are, are always playing and they always find a way to, to throw it away. But not, not this year. And this Lions team looked very, very different. And uh, much like the, the Jags, you know, they're... Um, their fate is essentially in their in their own hands, but potentially they, they need to just keep winning. And Dan Campbell and the Lions are the great entertainers of the 2022 season. The great entertainers. Mark, did you have something you wanted to throw in there? I just saw you. Yeah, Kelly, it's just, look, uh, obviously we started with the Pats Raiders game and that leaves me feeling very raw. We talked about Trevor Lawrence and he's obviously the golden child. We're now onto Beverly oh. Hills Cop. So <laughs> clearly this is Eddie Murphy week and I expect every it's other Eddie game to have an Eddie Murphy reference to it. That's that's okay. all. Oh my goodness. Okay, no no tall order. Right, so I'm going to call an audible and go to comments in the interim before we go to some of the other games. Uh, Brian, do we have any comments we can flash up there? I know there's there's folks out there watching tonight. God, there's plenty. There really is, Callie. It's, it's great. Great. Interact- great interaction this evening. Unfortunately for Mark, you can imagine that where most of the interaction is coming from... Um, so I'll have to put up a few ideas. Um, Keita, our resident Dolphins fan, he must have had a late night Saturday night. Pat's tried to do a Miami Miracle. Mark and all about the Miami Miracle. It, it kind of reminded me of that play a couple of years ago when the Dolphins found the wall. When, we, when we won a Super Bowl, Brian. When we won a Super Bowl. That's what I remember about that season. <laughs> ground ground playing safety in, in the backfield. Um, um, the most hilarious play I've ever seen. Absolute gold. Sorry, Mark. Um, unfortunately, it, it, it's, the, it's the team. Here we go. Uh, Declan. Um, Benny Hill music in the background. Yeah, so it's <laughs> I, I could go on with these, and I'll try to jump into some other ones re- referencing other games. You could actually go on with them if you want, Brian. I don't know. <laughs> no, there's, there's too many. There's too many. Callum. Could be, ah, that's uh, terrible. A, a show dedicated to that to that touchdown. Um, I excuse the language. Um, Fred is our resident Cowboys fan. He's upset by the coaching. Um, he's not been the greatest of Mike McCarthy's uh, fans, the head coach of the Cowboys. And as always, uh, when they lose, Fred is quick to uh, point out the flaws in which he's, he feels he's uh, working with. Uh, Owen, um, evening lads, he's our Chargers fan. He's actually very happy today. Having, having won last night, Genie Mack does so many notes. <laughs> Well, we um, could go back for a bit more, maybe. Keep them coming yeah, in, folks. Yeah, because uh, we've, um, we've got a fair few games to go here. So um, 
I'm going to do some in-game management, tell you guys to compress your thoughts a little bit, because otherwise we won't get through them all tonight. So we're going to go next to the Chiefs at the Texans. Um, the Chiefs, they're, they're like, I love watching the Chiefs, but they're mad. Like, they'll kind of, like, decide to just throw loads of points away, and or they'll go way behind, and then they'll come back. It's, I suppose it's kind of why they're fun to watch. But anyway, uh, they just got it over the line this week, uh, 30 to 24. Um, and that's, isn't that, that makes them the AFC West uh, champions. Isn't that right? So um, maybe, Colm, I'll take you, uh, maybe get your thoughts initially on this one with the Chiefs and the Texans. What, uh, what, what was your takeaway on that game? Yes, seventh AFC West title in a row for Andy Reid and uh, the Chiefs. He owns the the West. And yesterday, Pat Mahomes had a, a, a very good game. Well, really, that's that's about the only thing that you could say was very good about the, the Chiefs. I mean, this was a Texans team who were absolutely decimated by injury. This is a Texans team who are going with this kind of weird quarterback system where they're playing the two they're even more so than the saints because the saints obviously have been doing this for years with drew Brees and Taysom hale and um we we've seen jacoby Brissett in his backup era kind of would come in sometimes on qb sneaks but the texans very often bring jeff driscoll in and jeff driscoll is a man who uh, a, Q, a qb throughout his career but a man who uh, was um, going to transition to be a tight end just over a year ago and yet the Texans are rolling with this 2QB system and they almost uh, you know caught the the Chiefs yesterday I think there are big big questions about this Chiefs defense and that would be a, a concern for them in the the playoffs but I also think their attitude I mean I think you you saw it last week against the Broncos and against the Texans. They went into both of these games. They were the, the fancy team. They were expected to do the business. And they thought it would be very, very easy. So Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid need to, uh, I think, circle the wagons. They need to talk to the defense, but they also need to sort out the attitude because um, they, they have... It's been real easy in the AFC West, but it will not be nearly as easy come playoff time. Absolutely. Um, okay, I'm going to head over to the distinguished gentleman himself, uh, uh, Eddie Murphy reference for you there, Mark. Uh, what are your thoughts on it? Very, very nice. Very nice. I might see Bowfinger come up, actually, as well. Um, uh, yeah, I, do you know, it's seven, seven years in a row they've won the AFC West column. Is it seven they've been top of that division? And and seven times the Broncos haven't made the playoffs. Okay, that's right. I'm just going to share some pain around uh, Gallo, basically, as well. Ooh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That. Um, but no, uh, I actually fully agree with Colm. I mean, the Texans have been surprising two weeks in a row there. We alluded to their performance against the Cowboys last week as well. Um, Lovie Smith is coaching up a, a group of very raw players there, and frankly, he's better than that team deserves. I think every badness that befalls uh, the Texans and indeed the Cleveland quarterback who shall remain nameless uh, can only be deserved going forward generally. Um, so um, look, they're a bad team, but the Chiefs seem to play down to their opposition. I mean, they can play up when it really needs to as well. We've seen that in games plenty of times. Um, and it is good to see the fact that as I predicted, actually, that Mahomes 
wouldn't lose too much on offense with the loss of Tyreek Hill, that they would make up 80% with other parts, and they do still have Travis Kelsey as a complete difference maker. But giving up 24 points to the Texans, that defense is not getting consistent pressure. That offense can go off the boil when they play down. It's, you know, yes, playoff spot secured, tick box. Division title secured, tick box. Now they're worrying about trying to get the first seed back off the Bills with slipping up a couple of weeks ago. And then how far and how deep do you go in the playoffs? Because that team, like the Bills, like maybe, you know, maybe the Eagles would look at, only is going to be Super Bowl or bust in terms of success this season. Um, mm-hmm. And since three years ago, it's been bust. So maybe uh, they need to turn that around again. Well, time will tell. Indeed. Brian, what about you? What's your takeaway on this one and the Chiefs? I, I think the guys have summed it very well. They have a lot yeah. of similarities to last week's game with the Texans in terms of how they played and ultimately came up short. And It took a Davis Mills interception in in, in overtime to get the, the Chiefs over the line. Um, Marcus referenced the seventh titles in a, what I would say about every year prior to this when they go into the playoffs. Like in, again, column team, the big expectations that team, this team has going into the playoffs, but right now they're stuttering into the playoffs. I mean, we're talking about them getting the number one See it. I mean, they may not even hang on to the number two seed with the way the Bengals are playing at the moment. Because one more loss, and the Bengals could be leapfrogging them into into second place because they have the the tiebreaker over them. I'm looking at the games and we still got left, and they're they're winnable. But right now, the way they're playing, you just don't know. They play the Seahawks at home, they play the Broncos at home, and they they finish in, in Vegas against the Raiders. And the Raiders are so jack and high, you wouldn't know what kind of performance the Raiders will put in on that night. So look, they've got to keep winning, but it is a concern. Like everybody throughout the course of the week was saying because they were so inconsistent last week in their win that they would definitely in terms of how they played against the Broncos and how they, the Broncos react to being 27 down the complacency that set in with the Chiefs side we thought we'd see a, a really good re- reaction to that this week didn't didn't unfold whatsoever so it's two weeks in a row where they've been getting over the line interesting to see they're back home this weekend that's probably a huge factor so interesting to see how they get on maybe stuttering into the playoffs is the best thing this year maybe that will give them the added encouragement and added focus when they get into the playoffs not to be so uh, complacent and, and put t- put t- put together because on the day when they put it together they, they are going to be the best team in the league yeah no doubt mark i saw you thrown yeah your head there Carlo, i was just thinking though i mean just one bit of balance on it it is first world problems like any one of the four mm-hmm. of us would definitely love for our teams to go trading places with uh, <laughs> the Chiefs. <laughs> All right. Yeah, very good. Okay. Uh, I hope there's some Eddie Murphy fans out there who are appreciating all of these. Uh, okay. Uh, let's t- let's talk Bengals and Bucks. Uh, so if I didn't see this one, but from what I understood, there was a sort of a 17-0 scenario, and then it came back, and in the end it was 34-23. Uh, second half performance there. Um, so always nice to see Tom Brady not doing well uh, for those of us who dislike him on sort of an equal measure to the Pats or to the Cowboys or whatever your chosen team you decide to hate. I think it's better to throw love into this world, but nevertheless. Um, how about you, Brian? Let's start with you this time. What's your takeaway on this bengals Bucks game? The Bengals team that are getting hot at the right time, just touched on there in terms of them trying to get in the... In the, in the jostling positions to be potentially the fourth seed or the second seed but um they didn't turn up in the first half and they were down 17 they finished 17 three and a half time and you're going against tom brady despite the fact that he's on the wrong end of his career at this stage he still he was 89 
you know, in games in which he's had 70. He's 89. I thought he was 45. <laughs> well, it looks good. Of, you're, you're the one that said you'd have a stat. I'm giving you a nice stat there. In, <laughs> I know. I'm only messing with you. That's great stuff. He, he's never been beaten in, not, in throughout his course of his career, but he's at a 17.8 in any game. But yet yesterday in the second half, it was a complete unfolding of them, but it looked to be it was also a great performance from the Bengals because the Bengals in particular, the second half performances over the past five to six games has been dominant. We saw how they came back against the Chiefs, saw last week in terms of how they put the Browns away. They didn't have huge numbers yesterday, 227 total yards, but they did intercept Brady. Brady had four turnovers in the game, and then also there was one turnover on a, a fake punt, which clearly uh, Bernard wasn't wasn't ready for or he wasn't aware of the play that was called so effectively that's another turnover so five turnovers in the second half in the game completely changed and the Bengals came roaring back and in the end the score was a very fair reflection despite them being down 73 at half time never felt like they were really out of the game and the Bucks still remain on top of the division despite the poor record in which they have six and six and eight now uh, because of the nature of, of that division down south it's not great they'll probably end up in the playoffs but I mean at this stage it's there's very little to say about them. For the Bengals, it's a great win to go on the road, no matter where, no matter where Tom Brady is in his, in his career to go on the road and beat Brady. It's a big, big positive sign for that team who are only going in one direction, and that's to be up there challenging the Bills and the mm. Chiefs to be in the Super Bowl from the AFC side come February. Yeah, yeah, fair play to them indeed. All right, uh, Colm, I might turn to you just for your take on this one with the Bengals and the Bucks. Um, any any other interesting ones to add or thoughts to add to that? Yeah, everything uh, came to a shuddering halt for me there uh, five minutes ago when we were on the last game, and I thought it was a homage to what happened to Eddie Murphy's career recently. Um, <laughs> but we're all back on, on track now. Uh, in terms, look, um, only Tom Brady could be uh, sitting at, at six and eight and yet atop his division. Truly, it is Tom Brady's universe. And uh, Mark likes to, to mention that the Patriots hadn't named offensive coordinators, but they did have Josh McDaniels calling the play as the QB coach. He was uh, assigned to call plays, as was Bill O'Brien, uh, back when Tom Brady was with the, the Patriots and not some random special teams lad or a failed uh, head coach who uh, was a defensive coordinator. For uh, Todd Bowles and the Bucks, it is like even like it's it's very difficult um things went right for them in munich because they 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 of course went right for tom brady on the big stage but outside of that nothing has worked for the the bucks this season and um for, for the bengals once again getting hot at the the right time i i think brian has kind of summed up the the game really well for the bengals it is all about the running now to see where what exactly they've they you know finishes in terms of the, the seeds and that's why it the last few weeks will matter so much in the AFC side because you know one slip from the Bills, the Chiefs, or the Bengals, and it could all uh, be very, very different. Very different indeed. Mark, what about you? Any additional thoughts or insights on the game? No. I mean, the guys have summed up really well. I mean, the box position is remarkable, really. Three teams behind there keep jostling to to lose any momentum. They're all five and nine, and the Bucks finished their season cards, Panthers, Falcons, I think. I mean, they still must be looking at that and thinking we should be able to get two out of three there. Um, and, of course, even if they get the wrong two, 
still might lose the control of their own destiny. Um, but um, they're not going to do anything in the postseason. Uh, they don't have a run game. Their defense has kept them in games and then starts to look tired towards the back end of games because they're having to pick up so much of the heavy lifting. You're asking a 45-year-old man to, to keep throwing down the field with shaky protection as well. And I'm not going to be a Tom Brady apologist here like Tony Romo is because I think Tony Romo makes excuses for every single poor decision he makes. Um, but it's not a recipe for success. The offensive line isn't where it is. They don't have a run game. Um, teams don't win that way. I mean, it's it's actually historically one of the worst run games in the league. And the Bengals, you know, like, when it looked like they were asleep for the first half, completely showed their class in the second half. They can uh, go on a run and make a difference again. It's great to see Jamar Chase back healthy and doing damage um, regularly. And that offensive line, which obviously ended last postseason so terribly, um, although they were in the Super Bowl, they were very poor in protecting Joe Burrow, very a lot of growing pains in the first six weeks of this season have really started to gel and properly protect him. And if you give someone with that talent and the wide receivers he has time, he can pick apart anyone and any defense. But in many respects, Cal, it's the year of the boomerang. Um, we've had more comebacks. Thank you. Uh, we've had more comebacks than ever before in the NFL, more comebacks from 10-plus points through week 15, and more comebacks from 17-plus. We had two this weekend. We just alluded to the, the Bucks being up and then the Cowboys being up by 17. So is 17 that new dangerous lead? You know, 2-0 is a dangerous lead in soccer, as they nearly proved in the World Cup. So 17-up uh, um, doesn't seem to be safe anymore. Not anymore. Okay, well, give it 48 hours or another 48 hours and we'll see how, we'll see how we feel about it then. Okay, um, I think we'll keep, we'll keep pushing on and we'll do a few more comments in a little bit. But um, I wanted to talk to you about uh, the Giants at the Commanders. So, Brian, I assume you stayed up till crazy o'clock to watch this one. Of course, why wouldn't you? Um, 2012 was the final score. Uh, tell us your thoughts after this game. <laughs> what, how'd you feel? Uh, Corey Hart had a song on the Beverly Hills Cup soundtrack called Hold On and uh, that's what the Giants do they make you hold on to the very end which resulted in, in, in a bedtime of 4.40am um, look I, I was very confident going into this game people were talking to the commanders they were the favourites I was genuinely very surprised because having watched the game two weeks ago the Giants shot themselves in the foot so many times and I felt if they corrected the wrongs of that particular game never mind somebody frailties that they showed recently they would put themselves in a position to win but like there's one marquee player for the Giants last night and that's Kayvon Thibodeau he's been the rookie class from from last April he's he was their first pick in, in number five and gradually as the season has gone on he's been improving and improving and last night was his kind of come to come to town game he was fantastic it wasn't so much but the fact he wasn't getting sacks he obviously got the, the what the grand slam as he called it on the commentary last night he he stripped the, he stripped the quarterback he recovered it he went in for the touchdown it was more so his overall play. He was closing down players. I mean, Colin touched on a, a particular play when we played Jacksonville a few weeks ago when, where Etienne, the running back, was gone down the line and, and Thibodeau ran 40, 50 yards to, close, to put him down. And it was one big change point in that game. Colin rightly called it at the time that there's a player that people were questioning his commitment to playing the game because of, his, because of what he wants to do off the field. But again, last night, it was so many similar plays. And on the last drive in particular, when it looked like Taylor Hunting was going in for a touchdown, he was the man. Again, the one-man wrecking ball that stopped him. Giants got back to doing what they were doing throughout the early part of the season, which was don't turn the ball over, 
uh, get Saquon moving, get Daniel Jones moving, and, and just methodically have drives. And you can't get more methodical than a seventy-yard drive. A seventy-yard drive with taking eight minutes off the clock and then resulting in a Saquon Barkley touchdown. It's a great win. It puts the Giants in a really strong position now. They only need one more win to essentially wrap up their position in the playoffs. Um, you'd like to think that game against the Colts on New Year's Day would be the game that they're earmarking, but who knows the way the Vikings were at the weekend, you wouldn't know what you're going to get from them. They're so up and down, but a uh, great win. And uh, I wasn't surprised. And obviously, I was cock a hoop at 20 to 5 in the morning and then was <laughs> back up two hours later. Fair play to you, like a vampire in Brooklyn. All right, uh, I'm going to go over to you, Mark. Uh, take, give us your thoughts on on the on the Giants and the and the. the, the just the, and the game was in Washington, in fairness, but I was going to leverage in the vampire in Brooklyn line as well, Callum. So, yeah, <laughs> good man yourself. Um, yeah, look, it wasn't the most entertaining game of all time. I'm sure Brian feels differently, given the result went the right way. Um, but the Giants got back to basics. They got back to, you know, having a strong performance on defense. And you're absolutely right. Kayvon uh, Tuadu Bryan really burst on. He's actually a chess, uh, big chess fan. He's uh, played it since he was a young kid and everything. And there were times it looked like he was playing checkers, uh, to be honest. He was making it look very easy, taking apart the commander's offensive line. Um and the Giants had a great winning formula at the start of the season, and it was pretty damn simple. It was, we're going to run the ball, we're going to rely upon Daniel Jones to make 10 or 20 key plays at various times and tell him and, and give him the structure to succeed. We're going to have a very strong defense, especially on third down. It might give up yards, but we won't, you know, it would be the epitome of bend don't break. And when the game really matters, like this is a winning formula for any team in the fourth quarter, they're going to make the big plays. And strangely, this seemed to be a winning formula for multiple weeks in a row. Um, even when they were down 10 points to the Packers in London, I thought they'd come back. They did. They were down on other weeks. They came back. Um, this, nobody's going to write home about this game. But I tell you, you write home about it, given the position it now puts the Giants in, with the tiebreaker over the commanders, um, which could be critical given game and a half to only a half game, um, in terms of the playoff potential. We've talked about the Lions sniffing around. We talked about the Seahawks sniffing around. Things were looking a bit dicey for New York there, but it puts them back not just in control of their own destiny, but in the driving seat uh, in terms of that potential to get into the wild card. And once you get in, who knows? Last two Giants Super Bowls, Brian, I believe you were six seed both, time, both times, the lowest possible wild card at the time, and they went on to lift the Lombardi. Can't think of who they played in those finals and uh, Super Bowls and made me feel even crapper then. Oh, yeah. Yeah, this is a great night. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, Colm, what's your take on it? <laughs> um... Well, I, for, firstly, yeah, I mean, look, Brian Dable has done um, a heck of a job. We have talked about that throughout the, the season. Um, and I think Brian and Mark have done a good job summing up many aspects. But the one aspect that hasn't been talked about, um, and it was it was a factor across the league yesterday, some of those refereeing decisions 
were ridiculous. And I say that as somebody who watched my team get one on a two-pointer. Um, Kareem Jackson used DeAndre Hopkins as a climbing frame and got away with it. Um, but the Giants absolutely got away with some there at the end. And the truly baffling one, I mean, if if Terry McLaurin really got told by the, the ref he was good, only for the ref to throw the flag, that made zero uh, sense whatsoever. Um, so to me, you know, th this is one of the more, and, and referees are human and they're going to, to make mistakes and that will happen. We have the benefit of um, instant replay and, and slow motion, but it, I think it's the inconsistency at times um, because you just don't know what, what you're, what you're going to get and players don't know what they're going to get. You saw it in other games yesterday, you saw Patrick Mahomes um, get taken down at one point, um, which it seem, seemed like, you know, that that's just a tackle. But we have seen throughout the year, um, you know, other other teams um, uh, get done for roughing the passer. We've seen flags thrown. So for players, and particularly for defensive players, it is really difficult to understand what is um, DPI, what is roughing the passer. Um, and um, I, I, I would... You'd love to think the NFL might sort some of this out, but given that it is the year 2022 and we still have no idea what a catch is and what constitutes a catch, um, and given that, you know, I mean, again, we, we talked about a little bit um, yesterday, Brian, about like the, um, or uh, in terms of the Vikings and, you know, the, the, the two touchdowns and, like the, basically the refs blowing it up early and the fact that even it, when it comes to what the refs are where they blow the whistle like sometimes they blow it up sometimes they don't sometimes they allow a rolling mall essentially other times they don't um, and I just think in a multi multi-billion dollar industry there might be a better way of, of uh, doing it occasionally. Um, we've had Dean Blandino on the show a number of times. Uh, I think we all remember how upset Sean Payton was when the league allowed Dean to walk away. And some of that, I think, was because of Dean's frustrations with the way in which uh, refereeing was handled and the way in which change uh, happened at a glacial pace because of the owners. So um, kudos to the Giants. Really interested to see what they can can do over the course of the last couple of games. And, and another example of just how important coaching is. Um, and then maybe Brian, at this point, um, are there any other comments that uh, might be uh, might be worth putting up? Uh, I know that Fred yeah. is interested. Just, in the, just before yeah. just before we move off the officiating, though, Colm. I mean, the officials can't even see that someone's foot is in the whitewash. Like, Kingman Cole's foot was in the whitewash. It isn't that bloody hard to see. You just need eyes for that one. That's all. Actually, Mark, that's a fair point because on NBC's coverage last night prior to the game, they actually said if, if, if that game was an NBC game, that touchdown wouldn't have been given because with the 4K cameras in which they have on Sunday Night Football, which you can literally zoom in on, on top of the toe, if they were in a position to use those cameras as opposed to the three or four that they had available to them in Vegas, it wouldn't have been a touchdown. 
Um, can I make a quick point on the? Uh, sorry, I want to make a quick point on the particular play in which got him is a lunacy. Um, and Ron Rivera said it very well afterwards. He says, "Why, why is my player asking the referee if he if he's in the correct position?" Surely my, my own player should know if he's in the correct position instead of standing a yard and a half back from the scrimmage line. Um, he, did have, he did have a rant about other decisions throughout the course of the game. Um, but it wasn't the best weekends for, for decision-making across the league. There was, some, in particular, the, the Vikings game, as we discussed on, on, on yesterday. But having seen a, a taunting, and I know how Colin feels about the taunting rule, especially as the Giants owner was one of the key people to get that uh, rule introduced. When you see a Giants player getting done for taunting when he's only going off to congratulate his own player, Two weeks ago, and um, I'm not going to feel any pity for uh, decisions that went their way because I've been on the wrong end, as we all have been on the wrong end of decisions late in the night at 4:40 a.m. You know, and you're and thankfully we came at the right side of it. Um, comments, sorry guys, um, and there's quite a few. Um, there's so many. Well, I, I think may, what was interesting to me, and, and maybe just before we move on to the next game, um, Fred raised an interesting point in terms of, um, and we might just do a quick roundhouse. Where will Sean Payton coach next season? If uh, if you had to decide right now where he might be, what would what would you say, Mark? Sorry, right, if I was trying to hire Sean Payton. If if no, if you're not 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 if you're trying to hire him, where where would you put money on Sean Payton ending up as head coach next year? Oh Jesus, Colin! I mean, I'd... okay, Brian, we'll go we'll go to you. It's like radio; you can't have silence. <laughs> um, where do I think he'd want to be? I think he'd want to be in LA with the Chargers. But um, the way the the scheduling is lining up for the Chargers now. Um, as one who kept saying they wouldn't make the playoffs, looking at them, what they've got left, the Colts, the Rams, and I believe they finish with um, another team in the AFC West. I can't recall what particular that game is. Um, they've got a very winnable schedule look, to get into the playoffs. So essentially, I think that would keep the, the Colts there for another year. So strangely enough, I think Arizona might be the one. that um, I don't think Kingsbury is going to be back there. The GM has stepped away for health reasons. No. I imagine he's going to... No, you don't think that's a voice? No, no, I don't think he wants anything to do with Kyler Murray. Years of working with Drew Brees, and then you go Kyler Murray. Not a comparison. I actually, Chargers is a great shout. Like, I mean, if you gave a offensive genius a shot, like where would it be? Yeah, Justin Herbert sounds good, and the only way is up. I think the thing that keeps getting forgotten is you still have to pay draft compensation to the Saints around hiring Sean Payton anyway. So you've got to have a team that is so convinced and so desperate for this and equally is willing to pay up the draft consideration, which means they can't invest that in their team. Um, and that's what narrows the scenarios and the possibilities. I'll, I'll go for uh, Dallas, just because. It makes too much sense. Jerry loves him. Mike McCarthy's been a dead man walking. He blows it up in the playoffs. And Jerry says, my legendary patience giving Jason Garrett too long, uh, giving everyone after Jimmy Johnson basically too long, um, uh, expires. And he takes the opportunity. Um, and they always like to do it bigger in Texas. So, Connor, I'm going to jump in there. I know you've got, I know you have your own thoughts on this one because we spoke for it. It's, a, it's the most uh, valid one, Mark, in terms of what you suggested there was. If there's compensation to be had by the Saints, which team are in a position to kind of forego their draft picks essentially because they've already got a real strong side and that is the Cowboys. 
Well, uh, certainly one I think we will come back to, but conscious that we have a couple more games uh, among, including our quickfire round, and we have a Monday night football game to talk about as well. So if we move on to uh, the seventh game that we're going to discuss, turned out to be uh, quite a a low-scoring game, and that was uh, the Titans uh, against the, the Chargers. Brian, what were your thoughts on this one? Early on, I thought this was going to be a comfortable win for the Chargers because Tannehill went off injured and it looked like it was a really bad injury. He was, you know, watching through the, the blue tent like as if he was masked up and locked away in there and he wasn't going to be coming back, but he, he found a way to, to return. And and the game played into the Titans' hands, I felt. It was like we, We've seen the Chargers put up explosive enough numbers recently. Uh, we saw what they did against the Dolphins last week and previous games, but it didn't really play out that way. And you know, to see then that long drive from the Titans to get back 14 all late on, I just said this is this is exactly what Vrabel would wanted. You know, he, he put ourselves in a position late in the game to potentially even get the game into overtime and win on potentially a last minute field goal or whatever it needs to be, getting into overtime. And then, but Herbert has other ideas, and that you know, this is why we always talk about. This is why I get so frustrated with this team because when you've got a quarterback of that measure and, and that quality. You know, you feel like you're you're robbing them of an opportunity to be really good and go to the playoffs and make a serious push to get to the Super Bowl. But right now, we touched on it on Thursday with Mike Williams, Keenan Allen back. They certainly look like they've kind of re, rejuvenated the coach. I'm fairness, as critical as I've been of the coach, he made some really smart moves at the end. Even though they were driving to score that touchdown, the Titans he kept calling timeouts, allowing the team to have at least forty to fifty bit seconds to try and put themselves into into position to kick a winning field goal and that play on the sideline essentially wrapping up the game and giving them the opportunity was a fantastic play I mean it reminded me obviously it's slightly different because it was on the other sideline but it reminded me of the the Rodgers Aaron Rodgers throw in the playoffs that time against the Cowboys where he literally pinnacle into the corner for the tight end it wasn't exactly that nature but similarities to that type of play and that type of throw in a situation where you're trying to get in position to kick a field goal huge win walk off winning Winning uh, field goal and bearing in mind the results that had gone their way earlier in the day, obviously with the Jets, and then obviously during that time the Raiders and what happened there with the Patriots, allowing them essentially to move into the playoffs, but not only move back into the playoff position, but now they're actually the sixth seed. It's not even a case of whether they're going to hang in at seven. The Dolphins drop all the way back to seven, which is a very interesting move, bearing in mind how well they played on Saturday night. Mark, two teams that almost seem to be going in opposite directions. Yeah, I mean, the Chargers, they put together back-to-back wins for the first time since week six. Um, that kind of gives you an indication of their inconsistency uh, during the season. There were definitely points in this game as well where it felt like they were going to find a way to throw it away. They've thrown away games this season. I mean, we've talked ad nauseum about the question marks over the coaching staff there. Um, and there are questions of certain positions. Obviously, some of their big free agents moves with uh, JC Jackson playing badly and then getting injured haven't worked out the way they would like. Um, but they went seven drives on offense, five punts and two interceptions in the middle of this game. They basically scored a touchdown on their first drive and then scored twice towards the back end in the fourth quarter. Um, and then didn't do anything in the in the interim. And if Tannehill had still been in there, I actually think they would have lost this game because I would have backed Tennessee to at least put together a couple more drives and put more points on the board. The reality is, as you allude to, Tennessee are going in the opposite direction. And whereas a few weeks ago, we were all rightfully lauding the job that Mike Vrabel has done with them 
um, acknowledging that you know we didn't expect them necessarily to be able to back it up. We've given some of the off-season moves and the the trades, and John Robinson's paid for this with his uh, job only a couple of weeks ago. Uh, of course, or was it last week? It's very recently. Obviously, the GM uh, being let go, um, but they they seem almost like a, a death spiral uh, at the moment. Um, you know, uh, Eddie Murphy was in Dream Girls. It was more like Nightmare Girls going on for uh, the Tennessee Titans at the moment. Yeah, and certainly that AFC South is one to keep an eye on. Uh, the um, Titans seem to have it all locked up, but now only one game uh, ahead of the Jags and all to play for. So moving on to uh, our final game that we'll discuss before the quickfire round, and that was the game at Soldier Field. The uh, Eagles taking on the Bears, and uh, the Bears having, once again, uh, a decent performance out of Justin Fields, came up just short. Um, Jalen Hurts and the Eagles it was something of an off day, though. I wish my QB's off day uh, involved 300 yards and three rushing touchdowns. Mark, we'll start with you on this one. Yeah, um, there were some brilliant moments in this game, Colm. There was uh, the, the Eagles had called a designed run, signed quarterback draw, uh, just as the, the Bears blitzed their free safety down uh, the A-gap, and uh, Jalen Hurts probably ran down the B-gap. Uh, oh, sorry, the other A-gap, um, straight into the end zone. Um, and just the drama of seeing that dynamic of one rushing and then Hurts running straight past him was was hilarious. Um, Justin Fields, one, I mean, there are several plays he makes in every game. Now that they've opened up the play, now they're giving him a chance to shine. There are several moments when you it takes your breath away. Um, and one run in particular, it looked like he was going to be sacked for a, a terrible loss. Uh, ends up turning into a touchdown, you know, juggling, jug, uh, jug, oh no, it wasn't, he stepped out in the line, sorry, but he runs for 40 odd yards down the field. I mean, it was just beautiful. It's just fantastic to see. This was definitely way more competitive for a lot longer than most people would have predicted. It looked for a strong while that the Bears would actually come out with the upset. Um, they were giving the Eagles all they could handle. And you're right, Colm. Um, Hurts and the Eagles' offense certainly did have a bad day, uh, did have an off day. Um, the numbers don't necessarily stack that up, and certainly some of the connections and some of the balls Hurts was dropping in on fade routes out to Devontae Smith and A.J. Brown didn't signify that, but they were not the dominant force uh, they have been in games past, and that's a credit to the Bears and how hard they played them. Um, and, you know, I think if you're a Chicago fan, and of course your attentions are turning more to next year, you start to feel that there's the genesis and the core of a good team there. A lot of people question the trade midseason. Uh, wide receivers now with a couple of weapons. Um, Fields looks far more exciting. And when you've got some weapons that you have to recognize and acknowledge on the defense, you can devote less resources towards just stopping Justin uh, effectively. He has a way to go. Almost the pathway of Jalen Hurts is what, what he can envisage, though. He's proved it as a runner. Jalen Hurts approved as a runner. We questioned his ability to win games with his arm. And it's games that he's had this season and games like he had uh, yesterday uh, that prove people like me and uh, Brian in particular should shut up sometimes because uh, he's definitely made... uh, He's proven the doubters wrong many times. And the Eagles go marching on uh, towards number one seed, NFC dominance, 
Super Bowl victory, who knows? Um, but they, they certainly go marching on. Brian, give us your thoughts on this game. Justin Fields threw for 91 yards yesterday. Maybe they should draft a quarterback in the draft come April and, and play Justin Fields as a running back going forward. Um, I mean, that has to be corrected. I mean, because like we've seen this over the course of the last four to five weeks, it's great. It's very enjoyable to watch. He's fantastic. But he's, I feel sorry for him because he is getting injured a lot. He's, he's getting some heavy hits and the longevity of doing that consistently week in, week out. Um, maybe it, it will align itself in due course as they get more players in and they start you know, using him in the same manner in which the Eagles are using Jalen Hurts. Um, I agree, it was, a really, it was a lot tighter than the game suggests and um, I felt that the Eagles didn't play great yesterday, but that's the great thing about teams that are going in the right, in right uh, way in terms of coming to the playoffs and potentially to the Super Bowl. I think the Cowboys fans will be really uh, kicking themselves because um, it's come out in the last hour and it's been reported by all Rappaport, uh, Tom Pellicello, Adam Schefter that it's highly unlikely that Jalen Hurts will play this weekend. Um, he suffered a sprain shoulder in yesterday's game and uh, he's not likely to play. And, and now I imagine if the Cowboys had a win yesterday and then all of a sudden the, the, the cards are on the table for whoever wins, wins the division potentially, he would have played. But that's interesting to see that that's the case now. Um, maybe they're deciding that it's just a week that they don't need to play him and maybe keep him for a different game, thinking that the Cowboys' defense will look to do two certain things on him. Like it was, yeah. Look, they played below a par. It was similar to the Chiefs in a way. They they played it to a certain level yesterday because the game was obviously there to be won. But the Bears keep finding ways to play really well, really competitive in these games, but yet lose. And haven't spoke to a lot of Bears fans. That's really what they want. They don't want to get blown. They don't want the doors blown off them. They want to remain competitive see what they have in Justin Fields, but let's not impact our draft position right now. Bear in mind there's only a few games left in the season. Yeah, I think I can forgive um, the Fields and 91 yards, given that um, basically he had five turnstiles in front of him on the O-line, and had they put traffic cones out as wide receivers, they would have had more mobility and more catching ability. So uh, you can only throw if guys can catch it. And I think if anyone has seen that clip uh, from Saturday Night Live of Peyton Manning playing with the kids, I think those kids would have done a better job than the Bears receivers. But I think the Bears have found a legit franchise guy in um Justin Fields. Uh, we before we get uh, to maybe the final comments and to Monday Night Football, uh, it is the quick fire round. And Brian, we'll start with you this time. The Saints beat the Falcons. All right, I was going to do the Broncos game. I, I oh, that, that oh, sorry, I, you are you are right. Yeah, get, I'll, get, I'll, I'll go with the Broncos game. <clears throat> Look, it wasn't the most exciting of games. Bearing in mind the situation of both teams. Um, but I was impressed with the Broncos in the second half uh, because they somehow managed to shore up the, the leaky offensive line, bearing in mind what JJ Watt was doing to them in, in, for large parts of the first half. I mean, he was like a one-man wrecking ball out there in the first half, going after Ripon. And uh, gradually, as the game went on, uh, the Broncos' defence, which I thought would be the case, yeah, started getting, um, making life uncomfortable for their... Well, it ended up being, uh, was it Max Shorty that came in from, from McCoy? But look, I think if McCoy had been in there, it would have been the same result. Um, Justin Simmons had a really good game with a number of interceptions. He looked really rallied up on the sideline. Um, it's a good win for, for the Broncos um, because we, we, you said it today, there's no more excuses even at this stage of the season against the opposition which they have, including next week when they play the Rams on Christmas Day and stuff like that, the games that they should be winning at this, at this stage of the season. Um, it would have been an absolute 
disaster if they hadn't have found a way to win this game. And they brought in some good players and running backs like Mack and Marlon Mack and, and Murray, two solid players that have been around the league and, you know, will always pick up touchdowns. So you know, there's a lot of work there. It'd be interesting to see whether uh, Hackett, you know, we spoke last week about the narrative that's out there that he will be maintained for another season. I just can't, I can't buy into that. I think his time is coming to, to be shown the door uh, at the end of the season. Mark, I'll go to you for the Saints and the Falcons. Yeah, and we kind of touched on this division quite a bit. Every time a team almost has the opportunity to take advantage of the poor-performing Buccaneers, um, they slip up, and the Falcons had prime opportunity, you would have thought. But this is the beauty about interdivisional games, uh, even when you expect... Uh, to be able to 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 win against arch rivals. Bear in mind these teams both play in Mercedes-Benz Superdomes, just uh, in different states and slightly different locations. Um, but the Saints have been showing us very little the last while. The Red Rocket is not the answer, and it felt like the great job that's been done um, by the Falcons coaching staff would, uh, certainly I felt this beforehand, would... would um, uh, dominate them and they would move on certainly they would continue to move the ball uh, and run the ball on the saints the, the saints argument i would have said to win was that their dirt defense just took over the game and it didn't necessarily take it over it was one of those scrappy divisional games they're very limited i would say in moments of quality column uh, a bit like shrek or Shrek 2, or Shrek 3, or Shrek 4. There's a donkey, there's an ogre going around the place. Um, great for the Saints. In many respects, they're going to still say, well, we've a shot just as good as any still to win this uh, NFC South. And that's what all four teams will be thinking, um, which also goes to the fact that, that the quality in those games is is lacking somewhat. Sorry, it wasn't. it didn't... It didn't float my boat, Colin. Didn't float my boat at all. Um, and I am going to talk then about the Steelers getting the win on the road in Carolina. So um, Magic Mike still has the opportunity to get above uh, 500. And to me, this the, the Panthers went away from what has been proven successful uh, under Steve Wilkes, moved away from the running game. Um, previously, they were going um, for the getting the big guys in there, getting that run going. Um, they just could not get the run going at all. And then they, I felt they went away from it a bit early and defensively just had a, a nightmare on third downs. This is a team who have um, managed to keep opposing teams under 40% on converting on third down uh, this, this year. Uh, at home and all of a sudden yesterday the Steelers converted 12 of 15 um, that is how you go about losing a game and ultimately this was about the you know the, the Steelers in the third quarter 21 play drive essentially just eight of the entirety of the third quarter they it felt uh, inevitable at that point because no matter what happened though it didn't matter if it was the the penalties they still found ways to convert and they uh, ultimately got over the the line and given what happened with the bengals and the bucks i think the panthers are going to be kicking themselves a little bit on uh that one um in just before we move on to the monday night game um we do appreciate 
everyone's comments. We enjoy uh, the interaction. And I think some of these are uh, will inevitably come back to you in the off-season. So you have Kyler coming off with, so in relation to Sean, Sean Payton's potential interest or potential landing spot um, that will come to... Um, I do think undoubtedly the Chargers, no matter what happens, will be looking for a new play caller, and that seems to, to be the case. Uh, Owen, uh, as many fans whose teams uh, are in with a shout, are looking forward and getting finding optimism, uh, our own Brian O'Leary, certainly uh, amongst that. And we're also seeing that the Christmas wishes come in, but we will uh, be, be back um with uh, obviously a preview of the uh, Christmas specials midweek. Uh, so we look forward uh, to that. Um, but we do have one more game to go this evening, and that is Monday Night Football. Brian, do you want to kick us off on this one? Yeah, there's a few Packers fans that still believe they're going to make the playoffs as a wild card. Um, they played the Lions in week 18 at home, and no matter what the scenario is, the Lions, they will be doing their utmost. If they're not going to be in the playoffs, to beat the Lions, um, they they they're looking at scenarios where Washington could lose in San Francisco next weekend, lose to the Browns, lose to the Cowboys. They're looking at Seattle and the, the tricky schedule they have. They've got to go to the Chiefs. They've got to go to to play the Jets, um, and then obviously there's the the Lions scenario where if they were to beat the Lions and effectively win, sorry, uh, finish on the same record if they could sneak in as, as the last one. I think it's a, it's a big stretch. I've seen uh, Matt Snyman, who we've had on the show, even talk about it in one of his articles that he doesn't believe it's against the rounds of possibility that the Packers will, will, could sneak in if they if they run the table. And I think they'll run the table in terms of winning tonight anyway, because I wasn't enamored by what we saw last week in uh, in the game in LA where, where the Vegas essentially, where the Raiders essentially threw the game away. I mean, they're up by 13 points with three minutes to go and they allow a quarterback who's only been there 36 hours. And it's not because of my hate of Baker Mayfield. I'm just it's the reality of no matter what quarterback you're going up against, to allow, to allow a quarterback who's only trying to get his head around the playbook to go in there and beat a team after only being there for less than two days is, is staggering. I still can't believe it happens. So I'm not going to get caught up in that. I think Baker Mayfield might have a better game tonight again, but I still think the, uh, the Packers should have more than enough at home. It looks like uh, Jones and Max are going to play. Uh, AJ Dillon, Rogers is going to be, I imagine, looking forward to this when he's had a bit of a, a fresh time with the, with the bye week having gone into Chicago and they played well and I think you might see another big game from Watson the, the wide receiver who was getting all the critics at the start of the season did start from very well in week one when he dropped that big bomb against the Vikings but boy, I mean the way he's come on over the past few weeks and the three touchdowns against the Cowboys obviously was the start of it and he's had a really really good end of the season and I imagine he might have a big game tonight so for me I think the Packers will win this game comfortably Mark? Yeah, Brian, I love, um, we're all passionate about our team, so I can understand how some Packers fans might look at this and say, no, there's still a chance. I mean, it reminds me, well, I'll go away from Eddie Murphy, Jim Carrey and Dumb and Dumber at the end where he says, so you're telling me one in a million. Oh, you're telling me there's a chance. Yeah, there is a chance. And I'm kind of with you. I think they'll win tonight against the Rams, but they won't be the Dolphins, they won't be the Vikings, and then they won't be the Lions. So they ain't making the playoffs, lads. Um, the realities for the game tonight, yeah, I think we're all kind of like just conscious of not going too contrary in, in terms of that Baker Mayfield uh, fairy tale story. They have had a bit of time. It's funny that the, the um, Packers are coming off uh, a bye, latest bye they could have possibly had. 
But equally, the um, Rams have a kind of a mini bye because, of course, they played on the Thursday night on December the 8th. So they only had four days less rest than the uh, Packers. And the Rams fans will tell you, yeah, but you've had 11 days to indoctrinate Baker Mayfield more into the playbook and what's McVay cooked up. I mean, yes, that was a great game against uh, a Raiders team who, I mean, Jesus, who have the Raiders beaten recently anyway? They don't beat anybody. Oh, yeah, yeah, except for yesterday. Um, so the the reality is, though, the, the Rams fans shouldn't be getting carried away. Beng- uh, Packers fans definitely shouldn't be carried away. This is a late season, awful Monday night football game that ESPN are contractually obliged to carry and show. And the Packers, for my money, will have enough um, to win the game and the Rams will have to reset with their myriad of draft picks that they don't have. For me, it's it's a, a game, we're only a couple of years on from obviously these teams really going at each other full pelt, um, but that that is the nature of this league, not for long. And Guys get injured and guys move on and uh, things uh, change. You, l- you look at the injury reports on both of these teams and they're both going to be missing um, players. Um, I, I don't know if a, a decision has been made on Bakhtiari. I, I know that he didn't participate uh, in terms of uh, the during the week. I know that Aaron Donald uh, didn't participate. Um, the, so you're missing obviously um, key key players there the Packers should absolutely they, they should do it um, but uh, as you both have said I don't expect this to be a particularly um, pretty game uh, we I, I think and I, I, I haven't seen anyone do a study on this but it feels like there have been more injuries this year um, than in in other years previous. Uh, like even yesterday, obviously we saw more uh, QBs go go out. Colt McCoy went down, and um, Justin Fields went out for a while. Tanner went out for for a while, and obviously both of these teams, the Rams, are really really um, you know ravaged by injuries as of the Packers. But I'm going to say, as you both alluded to. The Packers' young wide receivers are beginning to pay, uh, come to fruition. Maybe they have learned those hand signals um, that Killer uh, <laughs> was odd about uh, in her piece during the, the week. And we have a full house for the Packers, which inevitably means that they are cursed uh, and that the Rams should get the victory. Yeah, I mean, just call them quickly. Donald and Bakhtiari have both been declared out. So you could say that's a you know major loss either side, either side of the lines there in relation to it. You make a great point that at the start of the season, when they were showing the Monday Night Football schedule, you would have looked down this, it's like week 15, Monday Night Football, Rams, Packers, they'll both be probably in the division hunt. It could be relevant for seeding. You know, the capriciousness of time, how who would have known it was going to be two teams who are fighting more about draft seeding? And in the Rams' case, they're not even going to have the pick again. So um, I assume they don't have the pick. I mean, they generally don't have first-round picks till 2029, it feels like. Um, but, you know, now it's a bit of a drab affair to Sean of many of its star talents and star players with Stafford on injury reserve and everything. So, I mean, like... Um, it's the remarkable nature of how much money these TV companies have to pay. And 
they have no idea necessarily how it's going to turn out, especially not later in the season, which makes, of course, and I know we're going to be all watching for this, but what games are flexed in the last couple of weeks of the season, especially around that great New Year's Day one, um, where there's a couple of interesting options. I just hope we're not watching, I think it's Tampa Bay and the Falcons, uh, to settle the NFC South, uh, and then it's something more uh, entertaining than that, shall we say. There was a game a couple of years back, Mark, and we're going back probably eight or nine years ago, where the Seahawks were playing the Rams to win the division, and it was it was flexed into Sunday night football and the end of the season. And uh, the Se- I think the Seahawks won the game, and they still yep. finished on a losing record. That was a game which then the following week played they, the Saints. They went to seven and nine. Charlie Whitehead, I think it was, uh, at uh, quarterback, um, yeah. which they were enamored with the fact he was six foot seven and doesn't he look like a quarterback and everything? Yeah, he couldn't yeah. play like one, unfortunately. I, at th- at this point, I, I will just say enamored with a six foot seven quarterback. Uh, the answer is John Elway, who uh, could never find a QB who was that uh, size or above that he didn't uh, absolutely fall in love with and move up in the draft for. But anyway, uh, there have been some questions as to whether we will be back to preview the weekend's games, and yes, we will. And the good news for Mark is that Owen Healy is going to send you some fairy lights for the, the tree. Um, it's a plant. It's a plant, not a tree. <laughs> it looks like a tree, and I, yeah. Oh, and I get the lights over. We'll make sure Mark gets them up, and Keith is looking forward to the Christmas games, as I think we all are. We have a whole host of content coming your way this week. We will be back live with our preview, which uh, should be on Wednesday evening, um, and we also uh, have different podcast segments. Uh, So keep an eye out for those. Enjoy the game tonight. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for your comments. And we will see you all again very soon.